Ecclesiastes 11 and 5. And it reads like this. We're reading from the New King James Version. It says, and it says, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. If I can encourage somebody today, just simply want to tell you, I'm trusting even when I don't know. As humans, we place a great deal of importance in the accumulation of knowledge. The more you know, the better off you'll be. We associate health with knowledge. If you know how to eat, you should feel better. We believe that the more knowledge we have of something, the better our chances are of handling, overcoming, or even taking advantage of the situation. We associate wealth with knowledge. We see it in our government and military that gathering as much intel or knowledge about a potentially hostile country or countries so we can better prepare ourselves against an attack or, po or possibly even prevent one. It plays out in sports. Every team uses what's called a scouting report or knowledge of the opposing team to see what can be used against them to try and find a weakness or tendencies that can be exploited. In the medical field, scientists and doctors, they feverishly seek to expand their understanding or knowledge of diseases and their causes in hopes of finding a cure or at least a successful treatment. In our text, we're reading, which has been attributed to Solomon, we see that Solomon is recapping his tireless quest for knowledge. Solomon has seen just about all the possible ups and downs a person can have. All of the ins and outs, successes and failures that life has to offer and has concluded that ultimately all the knowledge, it's vanity. It's useless. For all that we can study, for all that we can try to understand, there will be situations and circumstances that we'll have to face and we won't know who, what, when, where, why, or how. Remember, Solomon is the one that was stood up tall in Proverbs and told us, in all thy getting, get an understanding. But now, in Ecclesiastes, he's telling us that we don't even know how bones grow in the womb. We don't know where the wind starts. And that we also don't know how God our Father, how he works. Solomon has reached a conundrum, like most of us. For all that we thought we know, there are times in life when what you know don't amount to a hill of beans. And the God we profess to know starts doing things in a way we don't understand or allowing things that we don't know why they're being allowed. We read in the Bible and we know 
Because it says that he knows the thoughts he has toward us. He knows the thoughts he has toward us. But we don't know what they are. The Bible tells us that we know that eye hasn't seen, nor ear has heard, nor it even entered in the hearts of men the good things he has for us. But we don't know where to go and find these things. We know that one day he will appear and we shall be like him. But we don't know when that day shall appear. We know that he's coming back like a thief in the night. But the Bible says no man knows the hour nor the day. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 and 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. So that means even the things we're hearing from God is not total or complete knowledge. And we just have to reconcile that there are some things we just don't know. The truth is we don't have to know what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, nor when he's going to do it. All we need to know is that he knows and we trust him. I may not know how to answer all the questions and the problems in my life, but I do know who is the answer to all the questions and problems in my life. I may not know the way out of the mess I'm in, but I do know he is the way, the truth, and the life, despite the mess that I'm in. I may not know how he plans to heal my body, but I do know that he is the great physician. I know I don't know how he plans to do it, I just know that he does it, and I'm trusting him when I don't know. Point one, I don't know who, but he is my healer. John 9 and 25. It says, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Jesus came to this young man and didn't immediately identify who he was. Jesus didn't go around saying, it's me, Jesus, son of the living God, Rosa Sharon, bright morning star. No, Jesus just walked up onto a lot of places. And when he walks into a place, one thing he does do is he gives a word and instruction. He gives a word and instruction. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. He gave this young man instruction and sent him on his way. Even if you don't see him do it, just know that he did because you heard his voice. Most of the times when people spend time trying to tell you who they are, they really have nothing to tell you. When people spend more time in their branding, in their marketing, in their self-promotion, it's because the product isn't worth much. See, when you have a good product, you don't have to spend much on, 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 on development and distribution and, and branding. When your product is good, your branding is good. 
have you noticed, for all the McDonald's commercials we've seen, McDonald's don't do a lot talk about how great their product is. They just said, come on down. Right? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Right? Other fast food places have comparative commercials. Our burger's better than this. Our fries are better than theirs. Our shakes are better than theirs. McDonald's just says, come on down. When you have a good product, you don't have to do a whole lot of advertising. All you have to do is just come with your product and whoever wants to listen and receive of that product will taste and see that it is good. Jesus came and spoke. Now the young man he was talking to was blind. He couldn't see if that was that same Jesus that performed the miracle. All he had was to hear. And through the voice, through the word that was being spoken, his faith increased. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Meaning you walk by trusting in what he said and not based on what you can see him doing. You won't be able to understand everything that he's doing, but trust the one who's doing it that is going to work out for your good. And you have to grab hold to that and don't let go. Verse 11. John 9 verse 11. Hold on to this verse. Hold on to this one. It says, he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. So a blind man walked to a pool. Hold on to that. Point number two. I don't know how, but he is my source. First Kings 17, 13 and 14. And Elijah said unto her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake first from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. <clears throat> now what's interesting is this woman from Zarephath, which belonged to Sidon, or Sidon. Sidon is the place where Jezebel was from. Sidon was a place where they practiced Baal worship. There's no doubt that this woman tried everything she knew based on her environment to try and make a better situation for herself and her son. Because Baal was supposed to be the god of water and fertility, but yet they're going through a drought. When you've tried everything that you know to do, let go of what you think you know and let God. If he's the God that never slumbers nor sleeps, why should I stay up all night? If I'm going to trust him, I'm going to rest. If I'm going to trust him, I'm going to relax. If I'm going to trust him, I'm going to go where he tells me and I'm not going to argue with what's happening. Because you arguing with what's happening is not going to change it anyway because you've been arguing with it this whole time. But when he gives a word, that's when you know you hold on to his word and follow where he goes. She was going to make her last cake, eat it and die. The prophet told her to make him one first 
and then for her son. Sometimes we have to get back to the basics. Sometimes we have to not, we can't get so caught up in the pain and agony of what we're going through that we forget the basics, right? That we're supposed to in all things give thanks. She came down to her last and had planned to die. She was preparing for a funeral. If we who are believers ever get down to our last, our attitude should be, Lord, if this is the last time you're going to bless me, I'm going to show you how much praise you on my last time. I'm going to praise you so much being that this might be my last time, the heavens are going to hear it. You have to get to the point that if you believe that this is the last time God is going to make a way for you, you're going to praise him like you ain't never praised him before. See, we get caught up and it's hard, it's easy to get caught up because we're still living in this thing called flesh. But that's when the spirit has to take over. That's when the word of God has to take over. When the word of God matches with your spirit, then your soul has to now rejoice. You have to rejoice over every little thing and say in all things, although it may not look like nothing, although I may be sick in my bed, although my children may be going crazy, although my money is funny, in all things I'm going to give thanks because God has been too good to me. God has brought me out of too much. God has done too many things in my past that even if he's going to stop now, I'm going to praise him as if he's going to do it until I die. As a matter of fact, if I'm about to die, then I'm going to praise him so hard that this praise will live on. I'm going to lift him up that even when my mouth shuts up, the vibrations will still reverberate. That God is good. God is my savior. God is my keeper. God is my deliverer. God is my salvation. I'm going to praise him like there might not be a tomorrow even if there isn't a tomorrow I'm going to praise him when everything runs out but I won't run out of breath I'm going to praise him if I can't see my way but you're going to see me praise him God has just been just that good so we have to praise him as if everything is running out and give him a praise that will never run out let the enemy know let this world know let your problems know that yeah you may take me out but you will not shut me up because God has been too good. God has been too kind. God has brought me through too much because he is my God. He is my Savior and he's worthy to be praised. Give God a praise. Praise him like it might be your last time. Show that struggle it didn't take your praise from you. Show that struggle that it can't shut your mouth. Even if I can't talk, I'm going to wave my hand. If I can't wave my hand, I'm going to jump up and down. If I can't jump up and down, I'm going to rock from side to side. If I can't rock from side to side, the when I think of the goodness of Jesus, I'm going to think of him and all that he's done for me. If my mouth go open up, my soul will cry out, hallelujah. Now hold, hold on to this verse, hold on to this verse. Hold on to this verse, 1 Kings 17 and 15. All right, so you're gonna hold on to this one too. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house. <laughs> when you start trusting God, what you, think was a, what you think was all you needed, God gives you that much more for everything around you. And she and he and her house did eat many days. Point number three, 
I don't know where, but he is my keeper. 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he came, became captain over them. And there were about 400 men, not even counting the women, with him. Sometimes God will leave you right in the middle of your problems. Saul and his army, they were right outside of this cave that David was sitting in. David ran to a cave originally to be by himself. <clears throat> because Saul kept turning on him. He heard the word from the prophet that he was going to be king, but the king kept trying to kill him. He heard the word, but the worker kept trying to kill him. He heard what God had said, but the one who's supposed to be standing in proxy of God is trying to kill him. So he ran. He ran to the cave to be by himself. But a whole bunch of people who had problems followed him. Have you noticed that when you are at your lowest, when you had your biggest need, you get people around you who really can't do much for you, but you have to take in your emptiness and pour out to them. In your emptiness, you have to pour out to somebody else. But that's when God will never let you run dry. Saul and his army, right outside. They know he's in there. They know you peekaboo, I see you. They know he's in there. But they never went in there to attack him. <laughs> what were they afraid of? Now they chased him this long way. You got your enemy cornered, go get him. He's right there for the taking. Everybody that went in there got problems just like him, so they're not gonna be much of a fight. Right? Go get them. But they never went in. What were they afraid of? Sometimes our backs are against the wall and our problems have us cornered, but for some reason, they never prevail. God hid David in the cave of Adullam. The place you think you're going to go lament, God is going to use that to hide you. The place that where you seem trapped and can't run, that's the place God is going to use to hide you. Because if you look at the word adulam, the word dulam, adulam means hiding place. He's in a mountain, in a cave, with his enemy on the outside, people who can't help him on the inside, but God is saying, stay right there. <laughs> See, we keep trying to get out of our problems, but sometimes that's the very place we need to be so that we won't go out and get into more trouble. Sometimes we need to stay right there in our problems. Sometimes we need to stay right there in that trouble. Because if you come out too soon, you won't be able to handle what's on the other side. See, for everything that David thought he didn't have, all his provision was right in his problem. <laughs> all his provision. And not only provision for him, but the Bible says that 400 men came with him. How do you sustain 400 men plus women and children? You got to have provision. You got to have sustenance. 
you got to have things that they need. So everything that they needed, although it may not have been what he wanted, was right there in his problem. Because God had put you, you thought you were running away from your problem, but God says stay right there while I've solved everything else around you. Because David couldn't do nothing with Saul. He couldn't do nothing with Saul. Because he had a chance to kill him, but he didn't and told his man, God said, touch not my anointing. See, some of the things that you want, some of the things that you're running from, you can't deal with. God is the only one that can deal with it. But when you align yourself up with the way God sets you in place, when you get in line and go where God tells you to go, he'll handle everything around you. You might not be able to see it, but God is working things out for your good. They may have meant it for evil, but God turned it around for your good. So if you just stand right there like a good soldier and endure hardship, you stand where God puts you, he'll supply you with provision and sustenance, but he's going to protect you and empower you on the outside. But hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. He's hiding. He ran to the cave of Adullam, which means hiding place. But the cave of Adullam is located in a place called Judah, which means as long as David stayed in the cave, nothing was going to happen to him. He got into trouble when he left the cave. He got into trouble when he left his hiding place. But as long as he stayed in the cave of Adullam, which means hiding place, which is located in a place called Judah, which means place, he was good. Sometimes you got to praise your way out of your situation. <laughs> Matter of fact, you ain't going to praise your way out, but you're going to praise while you're in there. Sometimes your praise will be your hiding place. Sometimes your praise will be your safe haven. Sometimes your praise will be your strong tower. As a matter of fact, when you lift up his name, the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous they run in and they are safe. So sometimes you got to praise the name of Jesus to be safe. Sometimes you got to praise the name of the Lord to be safe from your troubles. But as long as David stayed in the hiding place, in a place called praise, he not only was safe, but all those other people who had problems were safe. Let's look at verse 23. Hold on to verse 23. Verse 23. 1 Samuel 22, verse 23, it says, Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my, seeketh my life seeketh thy life, but with me thou shalt be in safeguard. I'm sorry, I gave, I gave you all the new King James, and I read from the King James. I'm sorry, media team, that was my fault, my fault. Point number four. I don't know why, but he is my savior. Luke 23 and 43. It says, and Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now we know this story. Jesus is talking to one of the malefactors. And maybe there was three, there was two, two guys up there, one on either side, right? They both knew that they had issues. But one of them, one of them acknowledged he had a problem. That particular thief recognized there's something about him that's different from us. He said, we deserve... Thank you, preacher. We belong up here. We deserve to be paying for our sins. But this one right here, 
There's something a little different about him. As a matter of fact, he looked like he can save from sin. He looked like he might be able to deliver us from sin. He looked like he might be able to heal us from sin. As a matter of fact, he looked like he might be able to deliver me from this cross and bring me to, he looked like he might have a kingdom somewhere in heaven. And with all of that, with all of that, the criminal was on the cross being shamed. He was naked. He was in sin. But he, he still believed. He not only believed, but he confessed. Galatians 3 and 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We all going to receive that curse if we don't go to Jesus. That curse of sin is on everybody that doesn't come to Jesus. But Jesus gave us a free gift. He said, I'm going to go to that cross. I'm going to hang on that curse. But when I do what I'm going to do, when I finish, that cross will be a symbol of salvation. That curse that was waiting for you will now be a, a symbol of salvation for you. But the man, he wasn't sure if Jesus would take the time to help him. Right? He figured out who he was, but then he began to look at him in awe. And I can only imagine that he wasn't sure that Jesus would take the time because it looked like Jesus might have been a little too busy. He's dying for the sins of the world. He may not talk to me. He's dying for the sins of others. He may not give me a, the time of day. He's, he's kind of busy right now. But even in his uncertainty, he still trusted who Jesus was and what he was doing. Never let anything come between you and your Savior. No matter what condition you're in. Whenever you need him, it's the right time. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now let's look at, let's look at Luke 23 and 42. Hold on to this one. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Now, if you remember, I asked you to hold on to four different verses. John 9 and 11, 1 Kings 17 and 15, 1 Samuel 22 and 23, Luke 23 and 42. When you have the chance, go home and just read those compared to what we talked about, if, if you have the time, in your leisure. And one thing you'll notice, the consistent theme of each of those scriptures, each one of the persons that were in need, they stepped out of the reality of what they were facing, they ignored the impossibility of the situations they were in, and they trusted in what they didn't know about Jesus. They trusted what they didn't know about what was going to happen. But because they heard the word, they put their trust in it and seen salvation. They saw deliverance. They saw righteousness added. 
They didn't know how rubbing clay mixed with spit on blinded eyes would cause them to see. They didn't know how giving up their last would create more. They didn't know how hiding in the midst of problems and certain death would keep them safe. They didn't know how a sinner hanging next to a dying savior can be granted everlasting life. Up to and after a certain point, they all gave up on the details. We have to learn to leave the details alone. There's a saying that says the devil's in the details. The Bible tells us to resist the devil and he'll flee. Sometimes we get so caught up in the details that we lose sight of the one who's delivering. We're worried about how things are happening, but we're not seeing the hand of Jesus making a way out. We get so caught up in the process and procedures, the SOP of the world, that we forget that Jesus is the one who created the world. We get so caught up on the operating, on the operations manual of our lives that we forget that God is the ultimate operator in our lives. Details are based on human understanding of how things work in this world system. But when God starts working things out, there is no understanding that this life can afford us. We just have to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we all know it, says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Sometimes we have to stand on the word of what Jesus can do, even if we haven't seen or don't see the works of what he can do. Each story strongly highlights the fact that people were willing to go or to do the unknown and hope for the best. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We're not responsible for the how Jesus does it. We're not responsible for when Jesus is going to do it. We don't need to know any of that. We just have to know that he takes care of all the things we don't know. All we have to do is praise him for what we do know. We do know that he can heal us. We do know that he can keep us. We do know that he can prosper us. We do know that he can keep our minds in perfect peace. We do know that he can make rivers in our deserts. We know that he can save our loved ones from sin. We know that he can take us out of depression. We know that he can restore broken relationships. We know that he can strengthen us in our wickedness. We know that he can deliver us from all evil. We know that he can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. And we know that he can forgive us of all sin and unrighteousness. And this is why we praise him. Romans 8 and 28. And we do know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. So be not dismayed for whatever betides you. Just know that God will take care of you. Philippians 1 and 6 says, Being confident in this very thing, that he that which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to worry about what's happening to us. Just know that Jesus has started a good work in us, and he's not going to stop until he's finished. Tell somebody, I'm not finished yet. I'm just under construction. I'm not finished yet. God's still building me up. We don't have to worry about even when we're praying if we don't know what to say. Media team, real quick, I saw this this morning. If you can, I'm sorry, pull up Romans 8 and 26. And we're going to leave on this. Even when life has got you so messed up, you don't know what to say. 
You know God, you know his word, but sometimes the words won't come out. Sometimes your tongue won't, won't, won't connect with your heart and your brain is just totally in a fog. Romans 8 and 26. One, okay, I saw that. Thank you. Thank you. I saw that hand. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So even when you don't know how to fall down and pray, even when you don't know how to formulate a Lord, I thank you. Even when you can't say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Holy Spirit makes the utterance. The Holy Spirit knows what you're going through. The Holy Spirit knows what to say to God. The Holy Spirit knows how to get that prayer through. The Holy Spirit knows what you need. The Holy Spirit knows your tears. The Holy Spirit knows your cries. The Holy Spirit knows what you're going through. And he goes back to the Father and says, Father, bless them. Father, keep them. Father, heal them. Father, deliver them. Father, save them. Father, make a way for them. Father, supply for them. Father, strengthen them. In the name of Jesus, God, to pray. Come on and praise God. Even if you don't know how you're going to make it out, know that he's the one that's keeping you while you're in it. Even if you can't see your way through, know that he's the one who's standing there with you. Give God a praise. 